There is a movie called Rudy. Most of you have probably seen it. If not, I think it's a very good movie. I would recommend it. It's about a young man who has this great passion and desire to do something. In essence, the theme of it is that the size of one's body does not dictate the size of one's heart. But it's not the movie I was interested in. It's There's one scene that always, uh, when I think of the movie, yes, there's a, this emotional impact and there's this inspiration to it. But during one of his times of uncertainty and why aren't things working out, he goes to see a, a Catholic priest to ask him questions about things. And the priest's statement is, there are two incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. Today I want to talk about something that may not be incontrovertible, but it is so true that it has gone through the ages. In our modern society, we talk about don't shoot the messenger. You'll get that as far back from that kind of phrase of William Shakespeare, Shakespeare in um, Rome, I mean, in Julius Caesar, you get um, other statements as far back as the ancients when um, a battle didn't go so well and the warrior ran to tell the king of the news and he told the king of the news, the king of the news, he had the messenger beheaded. Uh, so much so that, you know, the, the kind of the advice is never tell somebody bad news because they may take it out on you. We're a little more civilized today. We don't necessarily per se kill the messenger. We either discredit that person, don't listen to that person, or do whatever. Messengers always have had some kind of impact. Uh, there's even another fable that is in, among various cultures going back thousands of years. We in America know the story as Chicken Little, about a messenger who was afraid and gave news of impending doom. The sky is falling. Now, depending upon your culture or when you listen to the story, it had either a happy ending or a not-so-happy ending. Probably you've heard, because we in America like happy endings, have the happy ending that concludes. But it's always seemed that the messenger has an impact on the message. In the gospel... The messenger is often criticized, and instead of listening to the message as whether the message is valid, we again either shoot or discount the messenger. The real-life aspect of, of the gospel is that God has called you and I to be messengers to be witnesses, to be communicators of the gospel. The problem is we're all flawed. 
And it's very easy to ignore or disregard the message because of who we are. And all too often, when it comes to pastors and evangelists and other religious leaders, that there will come a time sometimes in the various uh, life of, of those pastors or ministers that some fact or, or shortcoming is revealed of either some moral shortcoming or something, and that somehow because of that, that the message is not real and we should, aha, see, it's not real because they didn't follow it. But the truth is of the messenger, especially when it comes to the gospel, it is the message that is true. God has simply determined to use people like you and me with all our flaws, with all our shortcomings, with all that we are to present that gospel. And you are not alone. And you are not alone in the sense of this decade or this century or this culture. You would think of all people who wouldn't have to defend their reputation, it would be Paul. And yet Paul, and we're going to see in this the next couple of weeks, how Paul is in essence defending his ministry, his apostleship, from those who criticize because they don't agree with the message. And because not agreeing with the message, one way to have people not listen to the message is to wound, kill, ignore the messenger. And so in Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 11, to bring you back that Paul starts off the letter to the churches of Galatia by saying, I am an apostle. I have not been made an apostle by the agency and dictates and approval of man, but by, but by God the Father and God the Son. And then he went directly into the fact that, in essence, that there's this problem and, and that even though somebody else brings a different message, a different gospel, which isn't a gospel to them, to not only reject it, but to consider the people, whether it even be an angel or a preacher, accursed, anathema. And so Paul starts off his defense almost immediately with, I am an apostle, not because of man's agency, but because of God. And then in verse 11, he says, For why would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man? For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus saying, Paul is saying, not only have I been authorized to present the gospel as an apostle, the message I bring to you is God's message. But because I know that people tend to look at the messenger before they consider the terms of the message, because we all do what we call in logic the red man and all that, where we, we straw man, we come up with all of these reasons why we ought to not like this person and knock it down instead of dealing with the message. But Paul is saying, yes, I was given this 
ministry by God. But not only have I been given this ministry by God, the ministry that I've been given, the preaching of the gospel, was given to me by God. I didn't receive it by man. In the essence, it's not a philosophical situation. It's not where I came up with a new philosophy. You have the Stoics, and you have the Epicureans, and you have all these various Socrates and all these philosophers who came up with all these philosophies. And Paul's saying, I didn't, I'm not coming up with a new philosophy. And what I am preaching to you, I didn't receive it from other people. I wasn't taught it. But I received it by direct revelation of Jesus, the Son of God. And then he's going to talk about his resume. Which is interesting, because we're going to look at his resume, and it's going to be the exact opposite of what you would expect his preaching to be. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the, the book of Acts, you kind of know what's happening. I'll give a, a really quick summary. We are introduced by the person by the name of Saul, whose name is then changed to Paul. And Saul was there when Stephen was stoned to death for his presentation of the good news. If you ever want to look at a, a summary of the Old Testament in the, the first five books, take a look at Acts chapter 7. In Stephen's defense, in his message to the leaders, he recounts, in essence, what God did during the Old Testament. Saul was not only there when Stephen was executed by stoning, he gave hearty approval. He thought that people who would present this type of gospel about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and that this, this person would allow you entrance into heaven by simply belief and not following the law was, was again wrong to him. And not only did he so believe that, he took action. He made sure that he could arrest men and women and went into their houses to get them. And he had gotten arrest orders, if you will, and that's why he was going to Damascus, because the gospel was spreading. And the last thing Saul wanted to happen was that this crazy sect of Jews would then distort Judaism. So he was zealous of what he was doing. He was on his way as a mission to, to destroy the church of God. And not only that, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He's saying, not only did I go to Sabbath school, not only did I attend the synagogue, not only then, I got a degree. I became, I listened to some of the greatest rabbis of the day. I sat under the teaching of Rabbi Gamaliel. Not only, I, I, I excelled. I was getting A pluses in my theological courses. I took this to heart. I was the guy who was always asking the questions, always debating, always doing these things because I was zealous about the ancestral traditions. 
but. Again, oftentimes when we hear the word but, it's like, oh no. But in this, it's a positive. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Here's this one who was zealous about the law, who wanted to destroy the church who was based on grace, acknowledges that it was God's grace that called him. It wasn't his background. It wasn't his knowledge of the Torah. It wasn't his enthusiasm of the Torah, but it was because of God's grace to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, if you'll read the commentaries, they'll go kind of crazy and try to explain three different versions of what Paul means about Jesus revealing himself in Paul. I'm a simple guy. I'll tell you what I simply mean he he thinks he means. I think he means two things. Number one, just because something is revealed to you doesn't mean that it's revealed in you. I can tell you something to give you the information. But unless you accept that information, you haven't really quite caught it. Paul is saying it was more than just a discussion. It was internalized. And how do I... Because Paul will say what he says later. In essence, I die to myself. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not me, but Christ lives in me. Paul is saying that that revelation is more than just intellectual. It's more than just emotional. It is life-changing. And that day became just not an ordinary day, but a day that Paul died and Jesus lived. It was revealed in him. And again, so that why? Why was Paul called? Why was his name changed? Why was he knocked off his horse as he went? Why did Jesus reveal himself to him? So that he might preach the gospel. Now, I haven't dealt specifically because later in the letter, Paul is going to talk about the gospel. But I want to say what Paul's gospel is in a very short, concise statement, if possible. In essence, it's faith alone in Christ alone. Now, he will write many letters to expand upon that. He'll talk about that we have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. How does Paul know this? Because it was revealed in him by Jesus. Certainly he could have talked to the apostles and other Christians, but he got this information through a revelation of Jesus. And why? Because I think it was necessary for Paul to understand that this man who was so zealous for his ancestral traditions would know without a shadow of doubt 
that he was serving a risen Savior. And he will acknowledge that as one untimely born, he himself saw Jesus alive. And so this gospel, he is determined to be preached to the Gentiles. Not only is this Paul, who was formerly named Saul, was so concerned about the Jewish sect becoming adulterated, he was now going to the Gentiles, to the people that the Jews thought that were less than human. And his ministry is now to present the grace of God to them. But he says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. He's saying, I didn't go and, and, and get people to, to, to supplement what Jesus revealed to me. I went and studied on my own with the revelation of Jesus. Now later, he'll talk about Mount Sinai in Arabia. And I have my own thoughts about that. We'll discuss it later. But Saul receives his gospel as he declares by God himself. And he avoided the important people to be trained. Verse 18, he says, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, which is Simon, which is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. A short, a little more than two weeks. I suspect it was 15 days because Paul probably on the 14th day was probably a Sabbath, so he couldn't travel. So whatever, but he stayed 15 days with, with Peter. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. So he's going, I didn't go and find out what Peter thought. I didn't go and find out what James thought. I met them. We just had private conversation. But I did not learn what I learned from the gospel from them. I simply met with them. But I didn't meet with a whole bunch of other people. Didn't meet with John. Didn't meet with Matthew. Didn't meet with all the others. Didn't meet with John Mark. I just simply went to Jerusalem. Verse 22, And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So he didn't make it a, a part of his plan to say, you know, I have a pretty unique testimony. Yeah, you saw Jesus alive out of the tomb. Eh, that's wonderful. I got an awesome testimony. I was on my way to persecute the church, and you know what happened? I got knocked off my horse, got blinded, all these great things, and God changed my name from Saul to Paul, and now I'm a wonderful apostle. Everybody come hear me. He just did his ministry. So much so that those who were believers before didn't even know what he looked like. Kind of a whole different way that we do things today. 
If, if there is a theme that, that I've been going through is that it's not about me. It's about God. Now, for me, it's not really hard because I don't have lots of charisma and abilities and whatever, so it's, it's easy not to think it's about me. But I don't stray far from the pillars of the church because Paul understands it is not about him. It is about the gospel. It is about Jesus and what he did. So he was still unknown to the church of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Whoa! Can God do the impossible or what? Here's this guy who was so zealous for the traditions that he not only was persecuting people in Jerusalem, he was going as far as Damascus to destroy the church. And God, in God's grace, knocked him off his horse and called him to preach the gospel. It's a pretty awesome miracle. Maybe, just maybe, because God is still in the business of changing people. The people that you and I have the most difficulty dealing with, maybe God can change. Even that impossible one. But you and I have no impact on their change. It is God. And if God doesn't change them, then perhaps it's because God wants to change you. Because it's not about you, it's about him. And the last verse that I want to take a look at this morning, and I want to ask a question. And they were glorifying God because of me. question I'm going to ask me, and I'm going to, a question I'm going to ask you. Who, if anybody, is praising God because of you? In case you want to deflect from the messenger... And they were glorifying God because of me. So the question is for us. Who, if anybody, is praising God because of me or because of you? Not, oh, isn't that person so talented? Or, oh, isn't that person so... But what about... I have seen Jesus more clearly because of him or her. I was led to Jesus because of him or her. When I was struggling in my faith and was ready to fall, he or she picked me up and said, I will walk with you until you're strong again. And I praise God that you were there because of you 
I glorify not you, but God. All too often, we humans want the glory. And we're upset when people don't give us the praise and adoration we think we deserve. And Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, the one who was zealous for his ancestral traditions, the one who was having to defend his ministry and his message, still isn't making it about him. He's defending his ministry and his message that it might be communicated more clearly to those receiving it. But they were glorifying God. And as I shared last week, whenever you have a theology or a practice that seeks to diminish the glory of God, you're wrong. God's glory will never be diminished. You can simply try. But ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the gospel is a mechanism for us to communicate good news. We are not chicken little, afraid and telling stories of doom and gloom. The gospel is not that you've been condemned because you've been condemned already. The gospel is that you can be set free, that there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that there is justification by faith. And there's nothing that you can add to it and nothing that you can do to subtract to it from it because nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing, not even yourself. So, you and I may not have the resume of a Paul, but we have the same message given by God. And we should do so boldly. We should do so in confidence. And we should do so understanding that this is not some cleverly devised fairy tale. But the word of the living God. And we, here in America, oftentimes, get lost in the notion about how much God loves me. And I praise God that God loves me, and I praise God that God loves you. But that is limiting God. Because God isn't God who loves you, but God is love. When we were singing about praises to God, It, it caught my attention that oftentimes we substitute, I praise the Lord for praising the Lord. So we'll say, praise God. Well, praise him for what? 
Well, praise God. Okay, praise him for what? He saved me. He loves me. He sustains me. The problem that I found myself into, he resolved through my, my prayer and my attitude. The difficulty that I was walking through, I didn't walk through it alone because he was there with me. What is it that you praise him for? Praise him. Glorify him. And I suspect that as we turn our attention to his glory, we won't be so concerned with ours and our circumstances. Paul becomes an apostle. He writes much, or if not most, of the New Testament. And most of what he wrote, he wrote while he was in prison. You want to compare your sufferings with Paul? Go ahead. But by comparing your sufferings with Paul, I want you to see how much Paul praises God in the lack of circumstances. Why don't they appreciate me? Why don't I get the glory? Because after all, I'm this great apostle. Paul understands that it is human condition to instead of dealing with the message, kill the messenger. The difference is God would not allow Paul to be killed, though he was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, left for dead, until Paul was no longer determined to need to be further ministered, and then God took him home. Don't let your circumstances, your lack, or success in your presentation of the gospel to diminish your ministry of presenting the gospel. And understand that one of the risks you take by presenting the gospel it's not so much they don't believe you, but you'll take it personal because they will reject you. Ask any new con convert who used to hang around with his friends who weren't believers. One of two things usually happens. The less likely, his friends become believers too. But the more likely... His friends don't become believers. And when his friends don't become believers, ultimately they usually don't become his friends any longer. They reject him because of who he is. So don't take it personal. It is the human condition, regardless of what the message is, if you don't want to hear it, to reject the person and to diminish their standing, even if deserved or not. And understand that when they do that to you, you will be in company, great company, with people like Paul and Peter and people we don't know of until we get to glory.
So you may have today difficulty coming up with one, two, or a thousand people who are glorifying God because of you. But here's some additional good news. Today's not over. You can change that. You can change that not because of you, but because of the grace of God. The grace of God that is imparted to you and the grace of God that is imparted to those who hear you present the good news.